Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Good morning. Good morning. I hope you all are doing well. Um, I've got just a couple things. It's interesting. So we obviously had uh, July 4th yesterday. I was talking to somebody. I said, hey, do they have July 4th over in England? And they said, no, they don't have July 4th in England. I said, they have July 4th in England. They just don't celebrate Independence Day. But um bum I wonder how many of y'all have actually read the, in, the Declaration of Independence. I try to read it once a year. It's a great, great document. I hope you get a chance to read it. I want to pull a couple of quotes from that as we get started, as we remember that our country is 244 years old. So a couple quotes from the Declaration of Independence, which is an incredible document. And then I want to read you a couple quotes from a couple of the founding fathers. It starts off, it says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the, of nature's gods entitles them. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, capital C, talking about God, with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. So when they write this first part, then they go into all of the offenses that the King of England had against America. They, they list them one by one after another, all these different things, in order to prove their case that they should be their own separate government. And they end with this. And as for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, God again, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I also want to read you a quote from John Adams. So the Declaration of Independence started being signed on the 2nd of July, 1776, but then it wasn't finished um, until much later, but actually there's one person didn't sign for a couple months later, but then it was actually declared on the 4th of July. And in between that, John Adam writes this to his wife. He says, I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated, talking about the Declaration of Independence, the celebration of our country in, by succeeding generations as a great anniversary festival it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to Almighty God. It ought to be uh, solemnized with the pomp and parade, with shows and games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illumination from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward and forever. You will think me transported with enthusiasm, but I'm not. I'm well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain the declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. I can see the end is worth more than all of the means, that posterity will triumph in the day's transition, transaction, and even though we, we may regret it, 
which I trust in God, we shall not. Of the 56 signers, five were arrested by the British as traitors, 12 had their homes looted and burned by the enemy, 17 lost their fortunes, two lost sons in the Continental Army, and nine fought and died during the Revolutionary War. America was born at that time because of the, if you want to say, lack of authority they saw in the government that they had in England. As we get ready to open up Romans chapter 13, if you would just go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 13 if your house or if you have your, your worksheets. A little bit about me, maybe you didn't know. I, I grew up um, Cincinnati. I grew up in a home that was very authoritarian. My dad was, he liked to use the belt when necessary. And of course, being the child I was, um, he had to use it a couple times. But just once or twice, and then it just scares you from then on. So, but my dad was an authority in my life. So as I got older, high school, and my first year in college, I did not want to be under that authority in my life. I did not, I thought I knew better. I thought I would grow strong. I thought I would just be better without my dad's authority. So what does a young man of 20 do that doesn't want to be under authority? He joins the Navy. Of course, there's no authority there, right? So I joined the Navy and found out what true authority actually means as far as the military and maybe somewhat the life authority. When, what happens when somebody is above you and somebody is below you. So as we go through Romans chapter 13, we're just going to kind of go walk through this in just a moment. But we're also talking about, we, I, want, I want to challenge you at the end, I want to challenge you as you think about who you are under authority, but I also want to challenge the people that are in authority, those, those maybe representatives, those state representatives, those police officers, those bosses, those elected officials, those teachers, those people in authority. I want to challenge you also to think about how am I doing with my authority? Am I for lack of a better word, doling out my authority because as a, just a ruler or am I doing it in a way that is God honoring? As a Christian, we need to be in authority to show people how to do it. But as, a, as if when we're under authority as a Christian, we need to show people how to live under that authority. But as I go through this, so as, as you read this Romans 13, if you've not already read it, um, I, I tell you, there's some passages in the scripture that you read and you go, Got it easy to put to get, put it easy to put to practice. Romans 13, as you read it, you go, okay, I can understand every word that comes out of Paul's mouth as, as Paul writes. I can understand it. But sometimes I look and I go, that's really hard to put into practice. That's really hard to kind of walk out of my life as a Christian. So I want to go through this. When I read scripture and I go, okay, God, there's some things that are really hard here. I, I have some presuppositions in my mind that I go, okay, God, if you're saying this, this is what I believe about who you are, so that way I believe what your word says. So let me kind of go through those. You can fill in the blanks if you fill out your worksheet. I just wrote five. There's, there's plenty more out there. Presupposition number one, God is almighty. Revelation 1 8 says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the Almighty, all-powerful. Number two, God is all-knowing. 1 John 3, 20 says, God is greater. We just, spoke, we just uh, sung about that. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Psalm 139, first two verses. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Third presupposition, God is supreme. 1 Corinthians 15, 27, 24. God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put under subject, in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted. He is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. God is, God is supreme. Everything falls under who God is. Number four, God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But this is the big one as we come to, as we read scripture, it says, God's word is perfect without error. We must, as Christians, I believe we must have, have a high value of Scripture. If we have a high value of Scripture, then what Scripture says um, dominates what anybody else says. If I'm saying something that is scripturally wrong, someone needs to say it. Someone needs to go, God, that's not right. We need to take Scripture and go, this is so high that we believe Scripture above what a, a preacher says what a televangelist says, what someone that's teaching the Bible says, we need to know that. So God's word is perfect and without error. Second Timothy three sixteen. all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or God of woman, man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. First Peter 1 23 through 25, since you have been born again, not by, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. All the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good word that is preached to you. I also saw a quote by Francis Chan. He said, whenever I read the Bible and I come across something I disagree with, I must assume that I'm wrong. I like that. If you're reading the Bible and you come across, you're going, that doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I oppose that. You must assume that you're wrong. So I want to look at Romans 13. I'm going to read it here. It says, I want to say that God's part in the believer's response to government. What is God's part and our response to government? Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 7. Let every person, every person, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists that God, what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive this approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries, out, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom is owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. So the first 11 verses of Romans is a lot of Paul's theology. It's a great read. It gets, it's, it's not easy to read. Sometimes you may have to read that section twice. It's a lot about Paul's theology, Paul's doctrine, what is teaching. Then you get into ver- in chapter 12 through 16. It's more about walking out the theology, walking out that theology. And that's what we're going to do in Romans chapter 13. But remember where Paul is writing. He's writing to the church in Rome. Rome was not a great place to be. There was riots. There was the early church was being persecuted. The um, Roman Jewish people were being persecuted. A lot of Roman Jewish people were sent out, were sent, were, were, had to leave. So this was not a great place to be. And Paul says, he starts in Romans 13. So what is God's part in this government? Number one, God's God's part. He, he appoints governing authorities. Look at the first two verses we just read before. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists those that God has appointed. So God's part is he appoints governing authority. I read this in, one of my, in um, Wayne Grudem's theology book. It says, God sets up governments for common grace. Common grace is the grace of God that, which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. God sets this up for all mankind. For all mankind. I believe God has instituted four authorities on earth. One, the government over all citizens. The church over all believers. The parents over all all children, and the masters are are employers over their employees. And there may be others, you know, self-governing. I've I've heard someone say that's also another authority that God has set up. But we can see here plainly that every person be subject, that for the authorities, there's no authority except from God. So what does that mean? Does Does that mean God allowed, God appointed Hitler? The Bible said he did. Does God, did God allow, did God appoint Saddam Hussein? The Bible said he did. God has allowed or appointed all of our presidents so far, whether you agree with them or not. There's some I agree with, there's some that I don't. And being in the military, when there's a president who's your commander in chief you don't agree with, it's not easy. But you follow underneath his authority. You pray for them. We talked about that before. Joe brought that up. Pray for your, pray for your elected officials. We need to always pray for them, no matter who it is, whether you like them or not. God has appointed governing authorities. So what's our, what's our response to that? Our response, it says right here, starting in verse 1, it says, let every person be subject. We're to be subject. That word in Greek is hupotasso. It means be subject to. It's actually a military term that says put yourself under the authority. So you're literally on purpose putting yourself under the authority of someone who's been placed there by God. 
like them or not. I've had bosses I didn't like that I, had to be, I was put under authority. Governing authorities, I was put under authority. I put myself under authority because that's what God said to do. Our response is to be put under authority. We're supposed to do that ourselves. It's like a troop division, the, the military term would be a troop division. But also I want to point out that all authority is appointed by God, but not all authority is godly. That's a key phrase, a key thought to understand because God has appointed this, but not all godly. Why does he not appoint all godly leaders? His ways are higher than our ways. He knows more. He is better. So as you look at this, you go, okay, okay, guy. It says, you know, we're not supposed to. It says here in verse two, um, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists that as God appointed, and those who resist will be incurred judgment. So, so we're supposed to believe that everything this, this person does is good, right, and we're supposed to go, go with it. We're supposed to obey and put ourselves. So the Bible has many, many places where it talks about maybe a king saying, do this, and the people going, I'm going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to the king. And then the king blessed them. I mean, not the king blessed them, but God blessed them because they listened to God rather than the king. In Exodus chapter one, um, Pharaoh king, Pharaoh goes to the midwives of the Hebrew women and said, listen, too many men are being born. Too many little boys are being born. When, the boy, when a boy is born, you must kill that baby. He's telling the midwives to kill little baby boys, little Hebrew baby boys. And Exodus chapter one, verse 15, it says, when the king said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shepara and the other one Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on their burstal, if it is son, you shall kill it. It's the daughter, you shall let him live. But the midwives feared God, amen, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live going against what he said, remember. The midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Do you see that? So there's a difference between being obedient and being submissive. God calls us to be submissive, but when they're against God's word, he doesn't call us to be obedient. Obedient, you can be submissive to somebody and not be obedient. Your boss tells you to do something ethically wrong and against God's word, you say, you know what? I, I know you're my boss and I appreciate the authority you have over me, but I can't do that because I'm a Christian and that's wrong. You're being obedient, but you're not being submissive. And I think we need to separate the two. We need to understand that we're supposed to be submissive and only be obedient to what God says. Maybe you remember the, the story of the three Hebrew slaves that would not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar erects a huge statue of himself. Of himself. He says, everybody, when I, when I start playing the harp and the lyre and all that, everybody's got to bow. He plays it. Everybody bows except these three Hebrew young men. And they didn't bow. So he gets them. Somebody comes and tells him. He brings them up. They says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You must bow when I play this. 
You must bow. If you don't, I will kill you. I will throw you in this furnace and I will kill you. And in Daniel 3, 16, starts this. Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, starts off nice, starts out being submissive. We have no need to answer you this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve will be able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. They knew, they knew that if they did not obey him, they could lose their life. But they were okay with that because they knew they would rather die and be honored, be, be honest with God, obey God rather than men. They would rather go to their death. How many of us take so seriously our life with Jesus, our life with God, that we go, you know what, I'm gonna be so obedient to him that it may not do well with other people. We need to be those type of people that listen to God more than men, but we also need to be subject to authority as long as not telling us to do something against God's word and uh, illegal. So in Acts chapter four, John and Peter heal a man, the man gets up, he's all healed, everything's going great, except that the council did not like it because they healed him in Jesus' name. The council brought them in and they said, you cannot speak in Jesus' name anymore. And this is was their response. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. We need to be submissive to the leaders that God has placed in front of us, over us. So many of you know I was in the military. I was a long time ago, early, mid-90s, I was on a ship um, out, of, out of Mayport, Florida, we had this new um, warrant officer, a division officer. His name was uh, Chief Warrant Officer Bream. He was a nice, nice enough fellow, except he was a little bit rough around the edges, like many sailors are. He came in, he he's, he's, comes into the, we're electricians, he comes into the electrical shop. He said, hey, I've heard you guys are doing a lot of work during the night, and I don't know anything about this. I'm getting up in the morning, and you don't tell me anything. Well, we were telling him in the morning, we weren't telling him all night, and he was upset with us. He said, you must tell me every time you fix something during the night. We explained to him, we work all night. We have people through different watches so that way we can work all night. But if he wanted to report or he wanted to be called every time we fix something, we would do that. He said, that's what I want. We submitted to his authority because that's what he wanted because he's in charge. So for about a week or two, we called him three or four times a night because things were breaking. Well, after about a week or two, he said, you know what? How about just call me or let me know when something major happens? Because he was getting woke up a lot, losing a lot of sleep. So we did that for about a week or so. He woke, we woke up probably once or twice every couple nights. And he didn't like that because it was going on and on. He's like, that, you're killing me. It's too much stuff because we do a lot. So about three weeks into this whole fiasco, he goes, you know, why don't you just tell me what you did the night before? We got back to exactly where it was three or four weeks before, but we're submissive to his authority because he was in charge. So we need to, he wasn't asking us to do anything wrong. It was just, didn't make sense to us, but we did it because he said to. So we are, as believers, to be submissive to those authority over us. In Titus 3, first two verses, it says, 
Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So we need to always be, have a submissive attitude towards authority and obey them unless they demand, their demands, we do something that are contrary to God's word or illegal. You just can't do that. And by being submissive, sometimes it opens us up to a conversation, hopefully for who Jesus is. So that is God's part and our response. Number two, God's part. This is his reason for appointing those in authority. Look at verse three and four. His reason for appointing these people. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad meaning. Rulers, now, let me go back. Because as we read this, we're thinking, I know a lot of rulers that are bad to their people. Again, all authority is ordained by God, is, but all authority is not godly. We know this. So they are supposed to be for good conduct, but not for bad conduct. So rulers are a tariff not for good conduct, because hopefully if you're good, you're not going to be under the terror of the ruler, but to bad. That's where maybe if you're a leader somewhere, you're supposed to be for good conduct. You're supposed to not bring a terror for good conduct, only for bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then what? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That word right there in verse 4 says God, is God's servant. That's word diakonos. That's where we get our word deacon. So the ruler is supposed to be a servant. Do you see that? So leader in your business, leader in your community, you're supposed to be a servant for those people that are below you. You're supposed to be a servant. You're supposed to serve them well. But I want to go to Psalm 91. If you have your worksheets or if you want to turn to Psalm 91, this gives a really good, clear perspective of God's part and why he appoints those in authority, I think. Living under the authority of those he has appointed is for our peace, protection, and provision. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way. But I heard one, one author say, it's better to live under a bad authority than anarchy. It's better to live under bad authority than anarchy. So, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. See, who dwells with God, who is under his protection. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He's going to give you peace. There's the peace that God gives when we are under his protection. Or one book writer said, under cover, under God's cover. Verse four, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. That's the protection. God gives us protection if we're under his, if it's under his authority, he gives us protection. Verse five, you will not fear the terror of the night 
nor the air that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. That's the provision that God provides. God, under his authority, provides peace, protection, and provision. A thousand may fall by your side, in verse seven, and 10,000 by your right hand, but it will not come near you. Those under his protection, those living under God's authority, or those, those his delegated authority, which is ultimately his authority, you get peace, protection, and provision. So, so how does that work out? So I'm just gonna use my, my dad, because my dad was an authority in my life. Um, we didn't always see eye to eye, but he always protected me from outsiders. He always had peace in the house. If he didn't, he would make sure that we did. And he always provided for us. God the Father does that through civil authority. Again, not all authority is, is great authority, but that's his, his reason for doing it is for peace, protection, and provision. So his reason for appointing those is for peace, protection, and provision. But what's our response? Our response, look at verse five. Therefore, one should be in subjection. Is it the word sub, subjection before or submit? Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So two reasons were supposed to be submit this time. Before it was just submit. Now it says submit to avoid God's wrath and for the sake of our own conscience, our moral compass. I'm sure you would know that if, if I'm out there um, doing something wrong, I know I'm doing wrong. I think most people know, I think God has put a moral compass in everybody's life. It may be working real well, and I think some other people have moral compasses that don't work too well. But I think some work better than others. So we're, the other day I was riding down the road with my lovely wife, and we were t- kind of talking about, we had been, bouncing ideas off her for Romans 13. We're riding down the road. And right in front of us was, was a, a moped. You ever got behind a moped? That frustrates me. Because he's going 1.2 miles an hour on a 25 mile an hour road. And I'm thinking, I'm going around. And Linda says, you can't go around. That's breaking the law. Aren't you preaching Romans 13 this week? I went, I stood right behind him. I was right behind him. It was great. It was one of those things where I said, oh, thanks. Practice what you preach, right? Thank you, Linda. But no, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to do that because I, on my own accord, would do wrong things. I'd go around the guy and it may be wrong for him. It may scare him. It may drive off. It may, I don't know what it would do. But our response is to be submissive to that. Number three, God's part in providing for his delegated authorities. Look at verse six and seven. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. That word minister is a different word. It's not the same as servant. It's a minister. It's uh, liturgos, where we get our word liturgy, liturgy. It's a minister, a servant, military laborers of the temple, of a priest. So it's a servant of the king. It's a servant, but it's a different type of a servant. Authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. God provides for these servants, these delegated authorities by our taxes. 
It doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make, I don't like high taxes, but I also know when I call 911, I like when somebody shows up to help. My taxes didn't work. I know that my taxes get, go to teachers, which are authority over children. I understand that. I know people that, there's people that don't want, that don't mind paying high taxes to get more stuff. That's a different talk altogether. But we pay taxes for these servants of God. God says, I provide for them. His part is providing to delegate their authority. He, dele- he uses us to pay for them. We pay our taxes. Look what it says. Um, you pay taxes all who pay to all who is owed to them. Colon, you see that? Pay to all who is owed. So what is owed? Taxes to whom owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. One of the things my dad taught me was to respect authority. I didn't much like have to like it, but I had to respect it. We had the conversation when I was learning how to drive. He didn't say, he, he didn't say, guy, if you get pulled over by the police, he said, when you get pulled over by the police, their authority, yes or no, sir. That's all you say. You don't yell back, yes, sir, no, sir. When I went to school, my teachers, yes, no. When I was in the military, yes, sir, no, no sir. Yes, ma'am. We're respectful. If everybody, I, I, this is my thought, if everybody in this country right now was respecting those, not even just of authority, if everybody just respect everybody else for their valid thoughts or what they're thinking would be huge. We would just respect each other. Be mutually respectful to each other. But you say you don't want to pay taxes. You don't like your high taxes. Jesus agreed to pay taxes. Jesus agreed to pay taxes in Mark 12, 13 through 17. It says this. And they sent to him, Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, a trap to ask him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about, one's, about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Talking about, is it lawful to pay taxes? He's talking about Caesar. I'm talking about, is it lawful for us to pay taxes here in America? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Then they brought one, and he said, whose likeness and inscription is on it? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. I like the fact that our coinage, our, our bills say, in God we trust. Because I think that puts a higher value on who we are as citizens, as who we are as people in America. So we pay our taxes. We respect those above. We submit ourselves to authority. I read a story. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read it real quick because it's, it's short. George Vins, a Russian pastor who for many years before the fall of the Soviet communism suffered along with many others great persecution for his faith. Yet he recounts that however severe their oppression and mistreatment became, pastors and other Christians determined to obey every law, 
just or unjust, with the exception of laws that would force them to cease worship or to, be disobe- or to disobey God's word. Following Peter's admonition, they willingly suffered for doing what is right, but not for doing what is wrong. They would not suffer as a murderer or a thief or evil evildoer or troublesome meddler, but would gladly suffer as a Christian. I wonder what it would look like if all people that claim the name of Jesus put themselves under subjection of authority in a way that made a difference. I love this country for many, many reasons. One, I found out that there's about a quarter to a third of our constitution comes from Scripture, which I think is really cool. It may come from other places too, but you can draw from Scripture, learn from Scripture. I love about this country, I love that we take care of those that can't take care of themselves. In a lot of countries, they don't do that. If you don't have money, you just don't eat. You don't have it, you don't have it. I love a country that has a way to address problems If you don't like something, you can take it to your government in a right, practical way. There's ways to do that. The Constitution gives us right to free speech. You can speak about who Jesus is here and someone else can speak about who Muhammad is somewhere else. I love that we in a country, many countries, if you speak the name of Jesus, you will be killed. There's no freedom of speech. This country, we have freedom of speech. There's some countries where, as the government, the government does what the government does, there's no redress. There's no to go, hey, I need to talk to somebody. It's like, this is the law. There's no way to get around it. This is what you have to do. In America, there is a way to address the law in a respectful, in a um, submissive way. That's another reason why I care and I like this country so much. We, I think we do it. We don't do it perfectly. We've made, many, we've made many mistakes from before the Declaration of Independence up till today. We're making mistakes all the time. But we're getting, I think, in my opinion, getting better to where we should be. We're not there yet. We have plenty of challenges in our country. Plenty of challenges. I heard Tim Scott, he did a, if you don't know who Tim Scott is, just Google Tim Scott, go to either his Facebook or his Twitter. And he had a three or four minute and he said, we have many challenges in the United States, but our best days are yet to come. I think in the Christian church, in our Christian environment, we have many challenges. Many challenges, but I think our best days are yet to come. I think God, Joe said a few weeks ago, God is up to something. God is doing something new. I, I don't know what that is. Is that reconciliation? Is that being more bold? Is that not being in this place, but going out and seeing our neighbors more? I don't know what that is, but I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm excited that we as Christians get to be a part of this new thing that God is doing. One of of the uh, commentaries I read, he wrote this. He says, if we distilled Paul and Peter's teaching about authority from Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, into, into basic rules of engagement, here's what we would get. One, honor God above all else, even human institutions. Two, submit to authority since it is placed there by God. Three, when it is not possible to do both, then expect to suffer for honoring God over 
human authority. When we see a practical example of this theology in American civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, civil disobedience drew attention to the injustice and many suffered dreadful consequences for protesting inequity and segregation in Jim Crow laws. Most, but not certainly all, of these protesters um, chose, not respect, chose respectfully nonviolence to bring about needed change. Unfortunately, what we see most often among Christians today is an appeal to the examples of civil disobedience in Scripture without a balancing a commitment to the clear and repeated commands in Scripture to submit to authority. We cannot cling to one, one another while denying the other. We must do both. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says this, be, be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent, to him, sent by him to punish those who will do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should be, be put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using the freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, meaning love Christian brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor or honor the king. So I have a couple challenges. A couple challenges to families, moms and dads. As, we, as you look at Romans chapter 13, as we see we're supposed, how do you talk in front of your children? When you see a leader on TV that you disagree with, how do you talk to your children about that? Are you disrespectful to that leader you don't like or that teacher you don't like or that governor or that city leader, whatever? How do you talk to your, your kids? See everything and they understand how they're doing that. Or do you say, listen, I may not like everything, but I have to be, we have to listen to them. How do you handle when you see a fellow believer say something that you, they shouldn't say about somebody? Do you call them on it? Do you just let it go and say, oh, that's so-and-so being so-and-so? Brothers and sisters, for us to get better, for us to go closer to Jesus, to us to get more scripture, we need to hold each other more accountable, to be those people that are held more accountable. Be submissive to authority. Help other Christians be accountable. Two, I want to challenge leaders. If you're someone in authority, if you're someone that has authority, whether it's by you're given the authority, you earn it, you're elected, you have a badge, you drive a, a tractor truck, and you're in authority of different, whatever it is, are you doing it in a way that brings God honoring results? Are you honoring God by just who you are? Are you being a servant? I see that more and more as I read scripture, I see more and more where it says, be a servant, serve. Leaders are supposed to serve. They're not supposed to be served. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus came, he was taken up to authority. What did he do? He didn't raise his voice. He answered their questions when he was appropriate. He was under authority. So after reading Romans chapter 13, and you go back to those presuppositions, how's that, how, how are you doing with authority? How are you doing with 
submitting to what God has ordained. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. You are greater than anything we could ever think. You are greater than anything that we can even know about. You are here with us today as we think about what your scripture says, Father, not about how Guy Smith may have interpreted it, Father, but just what does the Bible say about this? That is so much more important than what Guy says about it. So Lord, as we open, maybe have some of these questions, these conversations around our table this afternoon, as we talk about what does it mean to be under authority? How do we react to authority we don't like, but is not ungodly? As we teach our children to be submissive to those people that God has put over us, how do we do that? Father, I pray for all our elected officials today that are above us, that are supposed to be our servants, but sometimes it feels like they want to be served. Lord, I pray that you will come and you will help them with their wisdom. Father, I ask that you will be there and interject wisdom to them whether they know you or not because Lord, we know that you are supreme over all and you can move and change leaders as you desire. So I ask you, Father, if there's leaders that are in, if there's leaders that are in our local government, our state, our federal government that need to be moved, Father, move them. Please move them. And Father, maybe those leaders that you put over us in whatever municipality, civil leaders that you put over there that are that call by the name of Jesus, Father, I ask that you would prick their heart to lead the way Jesus would lead as a servant. Father, we're so grateful for you. Help us to walk these truths out each and every, every day of our life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.